We read God's Word this morning in the third epistle of John. The third epistle of John is the third to last book of the New Testament. Third John, Jude, Revelation. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. This is the inspired Word of God. I call your attention to verses 9 and 10 of the epistle. I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved saints of Jesus Christ, there was somewhere, probably in Asia Minor, but we don't know any more specifically where, in the day of the Apostle John, a very troubled church. What made the church very troubled isn't that it recognized, that every member recognized it had troubles, but what made it troubled is that there was an evil man named Diotrephes who came to have preeminence and influence in that church. And many were deferring to him. We're letting him have his way. We're defending him and we're doing things the way he told them to do them. He was an evil man. 
Part of his evil is how he treated the Apostle John, as the text indicates, and the sermon will more explicitly explain. He treated the Apostle John as if he didn't matter. He treated the inspired Word of God as if it wasn't important. What mattered was Diotrephes, what he said, what he thought should be done. If you wanted a place in that church, you did what he said. And if you didn't agree with him, you kept your mouth shut. It was a troubled congregation, but not everybody recognized the trouble. The Apostle John did. Apparently he was not in that church at the moment. Apparently he was some distance removed. How far we don't know. But he works to address the trouble. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes receiveth us not. He did his part to address the matter. And now in the text is the Holy Spirit's analysis of what's going on in that church and how long it will go on. What I'm saying is that the text contains the Spirit's recognition that not all was well in that congregation. And you say, good, the Holy Spirit recognized it. The Holy Spirit is going to address it. The Holy Spirit recognizes Christ is not preeminent in that congregation. And He's going to right those wrongs immediately. Here's a man who needs to be brought down a notch or two. And the Holy Spirit is going to do it right now. And then you look at the text and you see, that's not what's happening. Instead of swift and immediate judgment, instead of the church stirring up herself to address this evil man, instead of Jehovah God saying, I will from heaven send an angel to put an end to that evil man. Here's the word. We see all the evil that he's doing. If I come, I will address it. And by implication, the evil will remain for a while. The problem is not going to be quickly over. And as a church, especially members of the church who say, this can't go on another day, you might say, what is the Lord doing? He says he sees the problem, and if John comes, he'll address it. Why will he not address it now? Then what you see in the text is this, the Lord saying, Justice will certainly be served, but it never happens on the Lord's timetable as quickly as what the church thinks it ought and needs. And that's part of the Word of God for us today in this text. Jehovah will come to judge and even then destroy those who've troubled the church impenitently, but do not think that Jehovah's justice will be quick, soon, immediate. No, but when it happens, it will be thoroughly just. And so the church of Jesus Christ needs to know about a man like Diotrephes. Because as we'll see a little more this morning, such men appear time and time again in the church. 
Because the church needs to know that Jehovah is not ignorant of them, is not ignorant of the church's needs, but will come. And then that the church knows that until Jehovah puts an end to this trouble, the church will endure havoc. It will, but in that too, Jehovah is sovereign. He's testing His people. He will preserve His people. And He will bring us to heaven. Now the third epistle of John is not only about Diotrephes. You notice that as we read the epistle. It's about three men. There's first of all Gaius, then Diotrephes, and then in verse 12, Demetrius. Three men. And as I preached to you on verses 3 and 4 some time back, perhaps you remember that you can look at 3 John as being an epistle about three men in relation to truth. The fundamental concept in the epistle is truth. In 14 verses, the word truth appears five times. Three men in the church in relation to truth. Gaius loved truth. He walked in truth. He was a fellow helper to truth. He supported the ministry of the gospel and the work of missions. Demetrius has a good report of truth. Whereas Gaius had a very active relationship toward truth itself. Of Demetrius it said, truth testifies good things of him. Those are two men in relation to truth who are examples to you and to me. But the word truth is not found in our text. And yet I assert that the concept is there. If Demetrius opposes John, he opposes truth. And so in this third epistle of John, three churchmen in relation to truth, we have two positive examples in our text of very serious warning. And it won't only be a warning to elders and pastors and professors, although it is a warning to them, but will be a warning to each one of us in the congregation. Do you? You say you love truth. You sat in a church today in which truth is going to be proclaimed and is regularly preached. Do you love it? Or do you oppose it? Let's examine the text under the theme Diotrephes. Opponent of truth. Notice first Diotrephes' love for preeminence. And second, John's promise to remember. As we come to the text and see more about this man, Diotrephes, what he did and why he did what he did, we're going to see what a threat he is yet today and men like him to the church. So, what did he do? The actions that he did are set forth in the text in four ways. We'll notice each of them and explain them. We'll see how each of them shows he opposed truth. We'll see how that's a warning to each one of us. In the first place, Diotrephes did not receive us. Diotrephes receiveth us not. Now apparently what that means is that Diotrephes would not receive the Apostle John. Would he not receive the Apostle John in person and to his face? That probably is true that he wouldn't do that. But John is probably more likely responding to, I wrote unto the church, 
And Diotrephes receives us not. He will not receive the epistle that I wrote. Which epistle was that? Here I'm going to not get into the weeds. There's debate among scholars. Was it the second epistle of John? The second epistle of John is apparently written to a church. The third epistle to an individual member of a church. Is it the second epistle? It may have been. Perhaps it wasn't though. And an argument that it wasn't is that second and third John appear to have been written at the same time. Whereas this epistle was written sometime earlier. Sent to the church. The church received it. And now Diotrephes, Diotrephes opposes it. And uh, John has the time to reflect on it. So what epistle it is, we don't know. And we're not going to come down hard on one side or another. Here's the point. Regardless of whether it became part of the inspired Scriptures or not, an apostle of Jesus Christ wrote a letter to a church in which there were problems, told one man in the church, you are very much at the heart of why there are problems, and the man does not receive the epistle. That is opposing truth. It isn't opposing truth from this perspective that everything the Apostle John said was true. John just never said anything wrong. But it still was opposing truth from this viewpoint that when John wrote an epistle, even if it was not now an inspired one, it was still an apostle of the risen Lord. It was still Jehovah Himself through His apostles saying there's a problem here. It was Jesus Christ addressing the matter. And there is a man in that church who says, I will not listen. You would expect a man, even a man who wants preeminence in the church to say, I've got to really be careful how I act right now. The apostle John just wrote, I have to give every appearance as being ready to receive the words of the Apostle John. I have to present myself to the people who are hearing as if I'm very much under the authority of the Apostle John. In my heart, I hate the Apostle John, but I need to convince the people. I've got to play with them so they think I'm on the right side. You would have thought maybe a diatrophies to do that. But no, he's bold. We will not listen to what John tells us he's opposing truth. And so the question that comes to each one of us, do you oppose truth? And one way you or I would oppose truth is to hear it set forth in the Scriptures, the inspired Word of God, or set forth in the Gospel as it's preached, maybe outwardly say what a nice sermon that was, and go home and in your heart say, but no, I don't buy that. I don't buy that doctrine. I don't buy that admonition. I will not take to heart that command. Do you oppose truth? Or maybe you do it more publicly. Do you criticize and undermine the preaching of the gospel? I'm not going to say in the sermon that the members of the congregation have to agree with every word that a minister says. I'm not going to say that. I'll, be readily, I'll readily say the opposite. 
No, you may use your minds. You may evaluate what you hear. You may be noble Bereans who search the Scriptures, but that's not the question right now. Do you agree with every word? Do you criticize and undermine the preaching of the Gospel and the word the preacher brings? If so, you are an opponent of truth, as was Diotrephes. That's first. He opposed truth by not receiving the apostle. In the second place, the apostle says, he prates against us with malicious words. And so, by his evil speech about John and John's associates, he shows he is an opponent of truth. The word prating against us with malicious words apparently refers to slanders and nonsense. Some of it might have been just that nonsense. Just the man is trying to take your focus off John. And he's going to say things about John. You might go away saying, what did, what did he, Diotrephes just say? What did he mean by that? But he's taking the focus off John. He might even go farther and with malicious words indeed, with slanders and with gossips and with backbitings, attack the apostle of Jesus Christ. And this should, this should wake him up. You let words come out of your mouth that expressed your assessment of one of those twelve whom the Lord chose to proclaim His gospel. You just set yourself up as the judge and arbiter of the apostles. Hold back, man! But it doesn't make Diotrephes hold back. He's ready to attack. And this too shows that he opposes truth. Now it's becoming personal, you see. Earlier it was John's ideas, the words John wrote. Now it's the man, John. I'm going to undermine the man. I'm going to degrade the man. In that way, the evil man, Diotrephes, is attacking the office of apostle. He doesn't just have an apostle in mind, one man with whom he's taking issue, but he attacks the office. And now then I ask the question that each of us must face, do we do that? Maybe if our friend is in the office, maybe if the people in the office are making decisions we want to make, we'll speak highly of them, but in the end, do we have a high regard for the offices in the church of Christ or a low regard? If low, it will come out of our speech. And that speech is opposing truth because one aspect of truth is that the risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ gave His church pastors and teachers, elders and deacons for the work of the ministry. And we don't like that if we pray with malicious words about the men whom God put in office. The third way in which the evil man shows that he opposes truth is that he does not receive the brethren. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren. In light of the preceding context, these brethren, verse 7, are men who went forth preaching the gospel for Christ's sake, for His name's sake, 
they went forth. They're traveling missionaries. They are men who came to Gaius. And so Gaius apparently is in a different city than that in which Diotrephes is. They came to Gaius and Gaius received the brethren. He fed them. Excuse me a minute. (coughs) He housed them. He provided for their needs. He sent them on their way. (coughs) (coughs) And in that way, Gaius shows that he's a fellow helper to truth. When the text says that Diotrephes receiveth not the brethren, the point is, he won't take those visiting or traveling missionaries into the church. He won't do as Gaius did. He won't encourage the church to support them. He won't encourage the church to care for them and their needs. Isn't this a clear instance of opposing truth? If you love truth, then you love the preaching of the gospel. If you love truth, you love the work of evangelism that spreads the gospel to others. If you love truth, you love the Work of missions and the proclamation of the gospel to the heathen. If you love truth, even though you're not a missionary or an evangelist, you support the work in your prayers, with your finances, and in any way you can. But Diotrephes says, I won't receive the brethren. And then he says to the congregation which he has influenced, you won't either. And that's opposing truth. come here this morning thinking the preaching of the gospel was essential? Did you come here this morning thinking that to hear the word of Jesus Christ and to hear the gospel of Him was what your soul needed? And did you come here saying that not only did you need that, but all of your brothers and sisters in Christ needed to hear the same thing? That's promoting truth. Or do you come saying, Whatever the preacher preaches today, I sure hope it isn't the gospel. I sure hope it isn't about this Christ man. How exalted he is, how glorious he is. I'd rather hear about the exaltation of humanity. That's opposing truth. The fourth way in which Diotrephes opposed truth is that he forbade Not only did he not receive the brethren, he forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Such again is his influence in the church that he controls the way the other people act and think. And so, though Diotrephes says, I won't receive those missionaries, I won't support, house, and feed them, if there were a member of his church who said, but Diotrephes, we have to. This is love for truth, and this is love for the brothers in Christ. Diotrephes says to that man, you're out! The Bible, the text doesn't tell us how he do that. Did he really have a way that he could pervert the work of Christian discipline? 
and really cause other leaders in the church effectively to cast that person out, to declare that one outside of the kingdom of heaven? We're not told. Did he just have the ability to work the crowd so well that in the end the person who wanted to defend truth and love the preaching of the gospel said, I have to leave this church. There's, I just cannot stay here anymore. It isn't a place where my soul is fed. Is that how he did it? We're not told. But in one way or another, he saw to it that if you didn't do it his way, you got out. Do you see what an evil man he was? And here too he opposed truth. Because an aspect of truth is that the Lord Jesus Christ gathers into His church on earth already by His Spirit and Word, men and women of every sort and stripe, and knits them together in one love for truth. Diotrephes opposes that. He opposes the truth of the church as a unified body that worships Jesus Christ. He wants the church to be a place where He is in control. Do you oppose truth that way? Do you refuse to help those and support those who give themselves to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or ways that show what an evil man Diotrephes was. <clears throat> now John says something striking. He says the whole reason he does this is that he loveth to have the preeminence. He moves from the four ways to get to the underlying motive and reason. This is actually the Holy Spirit's assessment of the matter, isn't it? <clears throat> the apostle is writing by inspiration. And you have to, when the Holy Spirit inspires the apostles to write, the apostles don't just say things that never really cross their mind and suddenly on paper there's some thought that they'd never had before. As if John writes that, he says, wow, I, I, I never realized that about the man. Instead, when the Holy Spirit inspired men to write and the apostles to write, he worked in their consciousness in such a way that what they put down on paper was their own thoughts. And so this is the Holy Spirit's analysis of diatrophies, but it's John's. I recognize this man loves to have the preeminence. You might say you may challenge motives, you may question motives, but when a man hates the truth so much that it comes out in four different ways, it's not a question of the motive. He loves to have the preeminence. Here, beloved, we have to see the great sin of pride as it works in your or my heart to make us want to be first in the church of Jesus Christ. Do you understand why it's so wrong to desire the preeminence? There will be men in the church who are prominent. That's part of the Lord creating the offices of elder, pastor, deacon. That's part of the Lord giving gifts to one, maybe a musical talent. He or she doesn't fill an office then but in his uh, or her musical abilities or, or teaching in Sunday school or in some other way, a member of the congregation is known to be very wise or gifted in a certain area. The Lord gives a number of people in a congregation to be prominent, but none of us may desire to have preeminence. And preeminence is a matter of saying, me 
first. Me first. You see the sin? Let's come to an underlying doctrine. Some theology a moment. And it's the most basic of theology. And it's the very heart of the gospel. Jehovah God, in determining to save a sinful humanity, decided to send His only begotten Son into our flesh. And when there is only one who possesses the human nature, who is in fact God in the flesh, you understand that man is different from all other humans, isn't he? And he must be preeminent. And there's more to this gospel. That one, the Son of God who came in the flesh, went to the death of the cross took our sins on himself. Can you find another person who in going to the death of the cross took our sins on himself? Bore the wrath of God? Satisfied that wrath? Clearly cried out, it is enough. Earned heaven for us? Bestows his own life on us by his Holy Spirit? Who else in the church but Jesus Christ? He must be preeminent. There is only one Savior. He is a complete and an all-sufficient Savior. And that's the unity of the church of Jesus Christ that we make that our confession. And so the great sin of Diotrephes is at least threefold. In the first place, he despised Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Diotrephes desired to replace Christ. He couldn't replace Christ by being the Son of God. Diotrephes was a mere man. But he could maybe replace Christ in the minds of the people by getting them to think that Diotrephes was a cut above every other human. He couldn't replace Jesus Christ by dying on the cross. He could try to replace Jesus Christ by promoting an idea that he called the gospel, which was in fact not the gospel, and drew the focus of the people away from Jesus Christ. Diotrephes wanted to stand in the place of Christ. In the second place, by desiring preeminence, not only did he desire to take preeminence away from Christ, but he ignored that all those for whom Christ died now, You have preeminence. You have Jesus Christ. And then you have the church. And in the church, there are orders and degrees. But there's equality. I'm not talking about the church as a body and God giving different people different places and gifts in the body. From God's viewpoint, maybe there is something of a degree. But it's not up to me. It's not up to you to figure out what that degree is. Let God deal with that. From the viewpoint of our perspective, we look at one another and say, I'm on a plane with them. Or if there is a more prominent one, let me be least. But they are all brothers and sisters for whom Jesus Christ died. All on the same plane. All are equal. There is not one greater or one lesser. Diotrephes ignores that. If you must speak of Jesus Christ being number one, Diotrephes is number two. And there's no one else competing 
For number two, that was Diotrephes' error and sin. And in the third place, it meant that he exalted himself over the Word of God itself, over truth itself as revealed in Scripture. The church did not need Diotrephes. It needed the Word of God. You see what a danger he is to the church? You see how he's a danger that even can arise in our own hearts? That we can be tempted to think this way? The church needs me. I should be telling the church how to live. I should be telling the church what to believe. I know better than you. You see how that's a danger to every one of us? And the reason it's such a danger is because Diotrephes was indwelt by Satan. Now whether that means that ultimately he goes to hell, that he's never a child of God, or whether it means that at the moment he has the old man of sin in him and he's living out of the principle of that old man, I don't need to figure out which. At the very least, each one of us, though renewed by Jesus Christ's Spirit, have the old man of sin in us. And when instead of living out of the power of the Spirit, we live out of the power of that old man, we all start thinking this way. The church needs me. But it doesn't. It needs Christ. In the second place, what explains this, is the fact that having set aside the Word of God and opposed truth, Diotrephes is ready to give the ear to the lie. There's a hint in the text that he might have been one of those who took Greek philosophy and tried to combine it with biblical truth and convinced the church that that was really what matters. And in that way, he took the focus off the gospel. When I say there's a hint in the text, I'm not going to assert it as absolutely true, but there's a suggestion in the text. It might have been that way. And that's the name Diotrephes itself. The name means foster child of Zeus. And Zeus is a Greek god. <clears throat> is it a title John gave him? Or was it the name his parents gave him at birth? We don't know. If it's a title John gave him, then what John is doing is very clearly putting him in a category. Here's a man who's not living out of the power of the Holy Spirit. He is and pretends to be the representative of a pagan god, Zeus. And then he appears to you and to me, does this Diotrephes, as a picture of the Antichrist who one day will come Make himself more prominent than Christ. Say he is Christ. Try to erase every thought of the gospel in your mind. Every conduct that's in accordance with the gospel and the law of God. And say, you do it my way or you're out. That's Diotrephes. Now I need yet in this point to explain five reasons why it's good that the Holy Spirit draws our attention to this man. Reason number one, always in the church, sometimes more clearly than at others, or in one place 
geographically more clearly than another, but always in the church there are these men. Go back to the Old Testament. Aaron, God appointed Aaron, I'm sorry, Moses, to be the leader of Israel. And then what do you read in Numbers 12? It's Aaron and Miriam. They had a place. They had a prominent place in Israel. But they come to Moses and say, Hath the Lord spoken only by Moses? Hath He not also spoken by us? We are not getting the attention and the reward and the glory that we deserve. And Jehovah God had words. Immediately He had words for Aaron and Miriam. Go to number 16, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Come to Moses and say, You take too much upon yourself. The whole congregation is holy. Why do you think you're so special? And the Lord immediately had words for Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. The next day, some of the congregation come to Moses and say, You killed the people of the Lord. And the Lord immediately has words for those who come against Moses. This happened, in other words, again and again in the Old Testament. That's just Israel in the wilderness. There were false prophets at the time of Jeremiah and Isaiah. There were men who tried to be king, make themselves king when King David was old. His son Adonijah and his son Absalom said, I'll be first. God said, no, it's Solomon. This is a threat, and it was a threat throughout Israel's history. Now move to the New Testament. And see that Jesus Christ and the apostles warn again and again against false prophets who will come. Men who oppose what the apostles taught. And now I won't take us over a survey of church history, but every heresy that has ever arisen in the history of the New Testament church from the time of the apostles on comes down to a man saying, I will take over preeminence. Thank you very much. Do it my way. This is a threat in the church of Jesus Christ. Congregation, as you look at your leaders, recognizing this to be a threat, you will pray for them more and more fervently that they be not such men. And then here will be a clue to you that they're not. Not that you agree with every word they ever spoke, I referred to that already, but that you still look at their life and teaching and see that they are working again and again to lead you to your Lord and Savior. And when you see that in word and example they are working to bring you to Jesus Christ your Savior and in scriptures, you say, thank God, that's no diatrophies in my congregation the threat is real. But my pastor and my elders are not by the grace of God. Number one, the Holy Spirit reminds us of this, that we be aware there are always prominent, uh, such members in the church of Christ. Number two, that we therefore look over one another not just office bears now, but other brothers and sisters in the congregation and admonish one another not to be of this sort. 
And if we see in the mind or in the attitude and conduct of one or another an indication that maybe he or she is beginning to be this way, we admonish in love, we warn, and we do not put such in the offices of the church. This is an extension of the qualification, not a novice. It doesn't matter how many years a man has been in the church of Jesus Christ. He might be in the church for 20 or 30 years in a congregation. But if he desires preeminence, he is, as it were, a novice, and he is also self-willed to things no office bearer may be. In the third place, the Holy Spirit reminds us of this, so that you and I more and more remind ourselves of the blessedness we have in hearing the gospel proclaim that Jesus Christ is preeminent and a gospel preacher that makes Jesus Christ prominent. And as we look at Him and behold Him, we say, indeed, we are blessed. In the fourth place, the Holy Spirit reminds us of this so that we may ourselves work more and more to know and love truth. Diatrophes opposes truth. Let us have a different view of truth, a love for truth, a searching of truth, a longing for truth, an opening up of the Word every day to find truth. And then in the fifth place, the Holy Spirit reminds us of this so that the church recognizes when there is a diatrophies in our midst, we're in it for the long haul. He's not going away quickly. But to encourage the church now in the second place, John in the text promises to remember. I wrote unto the church, Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. The point is that the apostle sees the harm the man is doing to the church. He sees the evil in the man's heart. And the apostle will do what he can to address the matter. He will not leave it unaddressed. He does not tell us exactly how he will address the matter. Presumably, though, it will be with truth, the word of truth in the Scriptures and in the power of the Spirit of truth. He does not tell us when he will do it. He says, if I come. And the if indicates he plans to come. He says that again later in verse 14. I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. But he does not know when he will come. He does not know how the Lord will direct his way. And therefore, he doesn't know when he will appear. But this about his addressing the matter, he will do so justly. Wherefore, on account of this, because of the evil that this man has committed, I, if I come, will remember. Love for the church motivates him. Now that brings three points of application for us in the first place that although the church of Jesus Christ might recognize if she has a diatrophies in preeminent among her, she might recognize that he won't be quickly or easily dealt with, that nonetheless the congregation through her office bearers say, we must and we will address the matter. The elders are to lead the way. 
The elders therefore are to look out amongst themselves, among their own pastor and among their own number, if one of them should be giving indications of seeking preeminence. And when the elders lead the way, the congregation must support it. Instead of saying, they're picking on my friend, the congregation must say, they're working to keep me safe. The church must lead the way. This is to show that the church loves truth. That the church will not allow anyone to displace Jesus Christ in the preaching of the gospel. To show that the church recognizes if she lets Diotrephes go on, her own existence as a faithful witness of Jesus Christ is at stake. She must address the matter. The second implication is that she must do so decisively understanding that she, the true faithful church of Jesus Christ, functions in the name and in the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Because ultimately it's going to come down to this. When there is this diatrophies, who are you to tell me? Who are you? Look who I am. I've got influence. I've got power. You're going to set yourself against me. It's going to cost you. Who are you? And the elders of the church of Jesus Christ, and the pastor and the deacons must have an answer. Just as the apostle John in his own mind had an answer. And this was the answer. Who am I? Well, if you're looking at who am I from the viewpoint of my nature, I'm the same kind of man you are. So then, who are you? If you're going to make it, who am I? Who are you? But we don't end there. Who am I? I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Pastor and elders, who are you? You are men whom Jesus Christ put in office to feed the flock and guard and defend her and take the oversight. The third implication brings us to this word remember. I will remember his deeds. Do you know what Diotrephes is going to say? There's an unforgiving man. There's a man who doesn't look at what I said, why I said it, put it in its context. He's just going to say, I'm going to remember That's not the way the Lord Jesus Christ acted. And that means we need an answer to the question. Why will John remember? When do you and I remember? And when do you and I not remember the sins of others? After all, we're going to pray, and we did with David in Psalm 25, verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy tender mercy's sake, remember me, O Lord. See me in Christ. So when do we say of a member of the church, I'm going to remember what you did? And when do we say of a member of the church, I'm not going to remember what you did. I'm going to see you in Christ my Lord. And here's the answer. When the member of the congregation who sinned against us says, I have sinned, and I'm sorry, sees his or her sin, grieves on account of it, seeks repentance, desires restoration, 
and humbles himself for herself, then we say, as does our own father, I will not remember. But when a member of the congregation says, sin? I didn't sin. It's your problem. I will not admit it. I will persist in it. Then the church says, oh, we must remember. Our remembering isn't a testimony of our hatred for you. Our remembering is a testimony of our love and concern for your soul and the desire that you be restored to relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, although I've brought the gospel into our text a number of ways throughout the sermon, I'm going to come to the chief way in which our text makes known the gospel. It does so by teaching us the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ to judge. Because although it's John saying, if I come, I will remember, it's John saying that again as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ through his apostles teaching the church, I see the wrongs you endure, I see the trouble in the church, and I will not tolerate it. I will come to address the gospel of the coming of Jesus Christ to judges in our text, not just by analogy or implication, John is going to remember, Jesus Christ will remember, but is there really, truly, because what Jesus says through John is what Jesus Christ himself will do for the well-being of the church. Jesus Christ, beloved, will come again to judge. And when he comes, he will... Remember. On the one hand, that's a comfort for you and for me, and that's why there's a gospel here. He will remember my sins and your sins, but in addition to remembering my sins and your sins, He will remember what He did on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And so He'll declare us worthy, not in ourselves, but in Him, of a right to heavenly life. But when he confronts the Diotrephes, the evil men in the church, the representatives of Satan who have not turned from their sin, he will also remember and he'll say, I don't forget one word you said that hurt the church. I do not forget one thought you thought. I remember and I will judge. Do you know why you can be so sure he will remember? He is truth, and truth does not forget. What will that judgment look like then? For those who hated and opposed the truth, for those who persisted in it, for those who would not turn but insisted on the preeminence, that judgment will be very scary, fearful, awesome and fear-inducing, he will say to them, you troubled my church, and now I will trouble you forever. There's a place in hell prepared for you. There be some who trouble the church for a time, 
and whom God graciously leads to repentance and sorrow for sin, to whom also he will say, you did. Maybe like the Apostle Paul before his conversion, you did trouble my church, you wrecked havoc of it, you were bent on destroying it, but I have died for you. There's a place in heaven for you. That leaves you and me, beloved, with a twofold calling. The calling in the first place is to each one of us who recognize that in some respect in our own hearts, there is a desire for preeminence, a calling, repent. Don't do that next week. Don't do that next month. Although the Lord will not return to judge the whole world, perhaps, by next week and next month, he may have come already to judge you in death before next week or next month. Repent. And repenting means bow before the majesty of Jesus Christ and acknowledge He and He alone is preeminent. It means humble yourself. Lose your pride. And then demonstrate concretely that you've repented by loving truth, supporting the ministry of the gospel, speaking highly of those who proclaim it. That's the calling to those who seek preeminence. The calling to every one of us is, wait patiently, your Lord and Savior comes. Now whether it be the injustice and trouble that the church endures at the hand of a diatrophies, or some other trouble, injustice, even sin that you have been the object of in your own life on the part of another, here is the word. The Lord will come. He will remember. He will make right. And this is our hope. Sure hope. Only hope. When He comes and makes right, He'll bring into heaven all who are appointed to a place in heaven and he'll create in us such peace, such unity, such love for truth, as will display itself to all eternity as we sing and adore the praises of him who delivered us, and as we live one with another, not lying, but speaking truth. World without end. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, build us up by thy word and spirit. Give us to behold truth, speak truth, love truth. Cause our pastor and elders and deacons to declare truth. Give us, who are members of the congregation, to witness to truth. All the days of our life, we pray for Jesus' sake.